Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and this week's episode of Polygamer. Whatever it is that you may be struggling with, however uh, overwhelming it may feel to you, I guarantee you there's someone else out there who's gone through the same thing and found a way out of it. That was Russ Pitts, one of the co-founders of Take This, a nonprofit that promotes the awareness and education of mental health issues in the gaming community. I'll be speaking with him and partner and co-founder Susan Arndt later on in the show. But first, some updates from the world of equality and diversity in gaming. AlterConf happened in New York City, AlterConf being a micro-convention that is traveling the country and debuted in Boston last month, hosted by Ash Dryden. I was able to attend the Boston event, but not the New York City one, and I'm wondering how it went. Do we have any followers who attended? Because based on what I saw on Twitter, it sounds like it went as well as it did in Boston, which is to say, excellently. At the Boston AlterConf, I was made aware of some of the works of Jonathan Mann, also known as the Song a Day Man, which is his handle on Twitter. Jonathan Mann, for over 2,000 days consecutively, has been producing a song a day, an original musical work of his own creation, very often, if not always, having music videos on YouTube to accompany them. I have backed this artist on Kickstarter and now also on Patreon, and I discovered that some of his songs are quite in line with what we do here on Polygamer. There was a song he did in September of 2013 based on an audio recording Lee Alexander produced, which was a parody of a Grand Theft Auto V review. It was Man's surprisingly catching music video, which introduced me to the review, in which Lee Alexander has the line, Games are about being powerful and having your way. And I think maybe intuitively I knew that, but I'd never heard it expressed so simply and directly. And it made me realize that that may be one of the issues that's causing this tension in the gaming community nowadays as we evolve from games that are exclusively about being powerful to games that are exploring other topics. I think it's very important to have games that make you feel powerful. They're a lot of fun, and they fulfill a need that I think all of us have at one point or another. But then we have games like Depression Quest or Actual Sunlight, or games where your character is from a less privileged minority than the straight, white, cisgendered male. And those games may not make you feel as powerful as you're accustomed to, while nonetheless serving a narrative purpose. And I'm wondering if maybe there are traditional gamers out there who feel uncomfortable or threatened by these sorts of situations or games. That's something I'll want to explore in a later episode of Polygamer, perhaps by speaking to game developers or Jonathan Mann, or playing some of those games on my other podcast, IndieSider, which you can find at indiesider.net. Another recent video that Jonathan Mann did that you should check out came out in September of 2014, and that is his response to Dr. Christina Summers, who recently published a video saying that video games are not sexist. He took her audio, auto-tuned it, and offered a response. And of course, his video got a lot of hate comments on YouTube, and also a lot of views, so good for him, Mr. Jonathan Mann. Thank you for being an ally and taking this fight to the public venue. Links to all these videos will be in the show notes, which you can find at polygamer.net. You can also find us on Twitter at GameBits, and you're welcome to send feedback to the show at feedback at polygamer.net. We are on Google+, and we are working on developing a Facebook page as well, so we'll be there soon. Speaking of Polygamer, this is the first episode that is exclusively audio, and I hope you'll find two differences between this and previous episodes. One is perhaps slightly improved audio quality. Please drop us a line if you think this is more pleasant to listen to now, that there is no video component that has to be accommodated. And two, since we didn't have to record a video, it made it a lot easier to have two guests on this show simultaneously. 
For your listening pleasure, this week I'm interviewing Mr. Russ Pitts and Ms. Susan Arndt, co-founders of Take This. I've worked with Susan a couple of times. She has been on two different PAX East panels that I've moderated. This is the first time I'll be speaking with Mr. Russ Pitts, but as you'll hear at the end of the show, in a parallel dimension and an entirely different industry, we may have been co-workers 10 years ago. This episode deals with some rather heavy topics, which means that I'm going to try to bring on some more lighthearted topics in future episodes, but for this episode, it may require a trigger warning for some non-graphic discussion regarding depression and suicide. It is nonetheless an encouraging and hopeful message that this episode has, and it is an important topic to be discussing. So I don't know if it's appropriate to say enjoy the episode, but I do hope that you find it valuable. Thank you for listening. Today I have the honor of interviewing not one, but two publishing professionals from the gaming industry. Welcome to Susan Arndt and Russ Pitts. Hello. 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 So you two have storied histories in gaming journalism. Susan, you are the managing editor of Joystick, former editor-in-chief of The Escapist, and PAX panelist extraordinaire. Uh, yes, I, <laughs> I, am, I, I, have, I have been all of those things. I have been on many PAX panels, indeed. Two with you, in fact. That is true. Two of about the dozen you appeared on that weekend. <laughs> and Russ, you are a, currently a freelance writer, co-founder of Polygon, and former editor-in-chief of The Escapist. That's right. Uh, a title that my wife and I uh, uh, both shared. It was, it was kind of a competition, I guess, one of those marriage competitions. So, yeah, I'm editor-in-chief of The Escapist. Well, now I'm also editor-in-chief. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes, that's me. Hello. And I would love to speak to you at length about freelance writing, founding magazines, online journalism, all the various issues that go on in gaming journalism. But today I'm here to speak with both of you about the nonprofit that you co-founded in 2012, that being Take This. Now, I understand that this was founded after the loss of a colleague. So first, my condolences on your loss. What prompted you, however, to respond to that loss in this fashion? This is one of those stories that's both uh, easy to tell because we've told it so many times and difficult because it never uh, it never gets any easier and it seems to never be. Um, we started the charity in the hopes that we would never uh, have to suffer such a loss again or that others uh, may not suffer such a loss or that people who would be uh, uh, tempted to do themselves harm uh, might feel less alone, but uh, it seems there's always uh, work to do on that front. Since we've founded the charity, uh, you know, we found ourselves again and again coming up to this, uh, coming up to this point, which, which was for us in 2012, um, Matthew Hughes was a freelance writer and, and uh, neither Susan or I had, had worked with him personally. We knew him by reputation, of course. We worked with editors who worked with him and worked at sites where he worked uh, in some cases. But uh, he uh, had been suffering uh, from depression, and uh, no one in his uh, professional circles knew it. We, we consider ourselves to be a relatively tight-knit group uh, in, in, in the journalism field. <laughs> sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. But no one seemed to know that Matthew was, was struggling, and, and uh, a lot of the editors he had worked with woke up one morning and found emails in, in their inbox from him stating that, that uh, he was apologizing, that he wouldn't be able to turn in the work that he, he had been assigned and he would no longer be available for future assignments because by the time they read his email, he would be dead. And he was. Uh, and it was, just a, it was just a horrible day. And we had editors chiming in, you know, uh, oh, yeah, I, you know, I got that email too and I got that email too. And what happened to Matt? Uh, and and Susan, for Susan and I, as, as editors, we have collectively worked with hundreds, uh, probably close to a thousand freelance writers in, in our uh, careers. Mm. And 
you know, many of them, uh, just like Matt, work work alone, work in uh, places where most of the people they interact with are, are online. In fact, Susan and I now both work from the house, and so we are are very similarly, you know, interact with most of the people we know on a daily basis online. And it's a different kind of friendship. Very easy to sort of see how someone uh, who's struggling with emotional issues could could slip through the cracks, and no one could really notice what they're going through, especially. If, like in Matthew's case, they don't feel comfortable uh, sharing uh, or talking about those issues. So so after Matthew uh, died and, and we just sort of spent this day sort of wandering around in grief, wondering, God, if, if this had been someone we, that we worked with personally and we knew that he was struggling, what would we have done? What could we have done? Uh, and that started the conversation, which eventually became Take This. And you co-founded this with Dr. Mark Klein, who is up here in Massachusetts. How did mm-hmm. you get connected with him? Mark actually used to write for me. Uh, he pitched an article to The Escapist many years ago uh, about being a World of Warcraft addict. Uh, he's a clinical psychologist. He uses video games in his practice to help connect with a number of his patients because he he treats younger patients. He, he treats a lot of uh, kids and young adults, and he finds that video games or games like Magic can help build a bridge to conversation, and that conversation can help lead to the relationship that helps with therapy. So he plays games himself, and at one time, he was so into World of Warcraft that he can considered it an addiction. So many years ago, he pitched an article about that, and that eventually led to him writing a column for The Escapist called Ask Dr. Mark, in which he covered the kinds of topics that would be relevant to that audience, not specifically always about gaming, but about gaming culture, online culture, worrying that maybe you're spending too much time online, and and how do you know where the line is? He got a lot of questions about how do I balance uh, being a parent with with gaming, things like that. So uh, I've, I've had a relationship uh, with Mark for years and, and known uh, the benefit of having somebody who understands that world. There's a, a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about what gaming is when it comes to the mental health profession. So having somebody who was actually in it was immensely beneficial, I felt. Uh, So he was the natural person to bring on to this because he could speak the language. You said there are some misconceptions about gaming in the mental health world. Maybe this is a better question for Dr. Klein, but what sort of misconceptions would those be? Well, that games are all violent, that gaming is an addiction, that gaming is nothing but negative and bad. Uh, If you don't know much about, and this is true for for anybody, really. But if you don't know much about video games, then what you do know tends to come through reports you see on TV, which tend to be about the sensationalized negative aspect of gaming. You know, mm-hmm. oh, here's the game where you can can beat up women and, and shoot innocent civilians, as opposed to, you know, you're never going to see a feature on, uh, about something like Journey on the Today Show. They're not going to cover that. They're going to cover GTA. Uh, so there's just a lot of just a lack of knowledge because if yeah. you're, if, if you're, if you're not in that, then okay, you might, maybe, you know, about rock band, but that's about it. Yeah. The lack of knowledge I think is, is really key there. We've, we've worked with dozens of uh, clinicians uh, through our, our, our t- take this AFK rooms that we do at the, at the PAC shows and hopefully other conferences in the future. And we'll bring these clinicians in. And in some cases they're colleagues of Dr. Clarence in other cases, they're clinicians from, 
completely different cities uh, who we've had to to uh, bring in uh, through our own recruiting, and the vast majority of them have no experience with video games at all, simply because of a generational divide. Uh, a lot of the mm-hmm. clinicians tend to be older, sure. uh, and, and, and in a lot of cases, you know, they spend a lot of years in school and they have active practices. Even the younger ones just don't play a lot of video games. So we find that, especially bringing them into an environment like uh, PAX, we find the, uh, very quickly the, the the extent of the gulf between their sort of awareness of of uh, the games community and, and, and uh, what they can provide. It's very enlightening uh, to bring in a clinician who's never had any experience with the games community to an environment like PAX or slowly introduce them to the games community. Uh, to, to us, it highlights the need for that kind of bridge where, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of need uh, for mental health work, mental health experience, uh, mm-hmm. dealing with emotional issues in the video game community at large and the industry as a whole. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, willingness to help on the part of the mental health community. Uh, but being able to connect those two is, is I think, where the trick is. Mm-hmm. And who else constitutes Take This besides the three of you? Is there anybody else on the board? We have an advisory board. Uh, we have uh, Ashley Birch from uh, Hey, Ask What You Plan. Uh, Ashley Esqueda, uh, who's over at CNET right now. Uh, Sarah LaBeouf, who, uh, she's still at Escapist, right? Uh, uh, she, she contributes to a number of places, uh, Digital yeah. Trends, The Escapist. Uh, I think she may have done something at IGN as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and Shane uh, Leisgang, who uh, works at Sony Santa Monica. Uh, and I believe that's it for the moment. We yes. have, uh, oh, and uh, let's not forget uh, Jackie Collins, who we uh, brought oh, sure. on fairly recently. Uh, as we grow, we're finding a number of areas where we need help, and Jackie's been working as a project manager for us, and uh, her excellent work has actually been highlighting additional areas where we need to bring on people. So we continue to grow. Now, what is it about the gaming community that you feel requires its own dedicated nonprofit? You mentioned how people who telecommute tend to be very isolated, but that isn't necessarily unique to gaming. So what is the intersection here? Well, the thing about the gaming community is that gaming, by definition, tends to attract people who need to feel more agency in their lives. If you feel like like the real world is out of your control, then it's very helpful to be able to go into a game world where you can literally save the universe right? Where you can control things. You are the master of your destiny. In destiny, perhaps. Or in an MMO, where you can become this entirely other person and you can be whatever you want to be. So it's games can provide an escapism from uh, life. And so it's a it's a natural destination for people who are experiencing mental health distress in the real world to go into these fantasy worlds where that can help them cope. So it just makes sense uh, a lot of ways. But also people who are are very entrenched in gamer culture also tend to have uh, a lot of their interpersonal relationships play out in a digital format. And it's so easy to leave stuff out that way. When you're face-to-face with your buddy and something's on his mind, you can tell his body language, his facial expressions. You, even if he's not actually saying it, you can see it. When all you have to go on is text or even chat in a game, it's a lot harder to know that something is up. And it's a lot easier to hide that something is up or just not address it. It's a lot easier to just 
leave all that stuff below the surface. So while, no, the game community is not unique in in the respect that it uh, deals with mental health issues, I think that the statistic is one in four adults has some sort of mental health issue. It can, it's a lot easier to bury it, I think, within the gaming community. And also, we we focus on that because we speak the language. We these are our people. We know what it's like here, and it's it's a lot easier for us than to make these connections with people and say, "Hey, it's it's okay to talk about this stuff. It, it's it's all right," because they know we're we're not looking at them as, "Hey, you freak who wants to go do headshots all day." No, no, we understand why coming home and, and popping people in the head can be very, very relaxing. We get it. We're not judging. Given that this is a community who's very good at hiding things, how do you reach out to them? I mean, you can have a website, a Facebook, a Twitter, but that's sort of the same medium that people are hiding in in the first place. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's, for us, that's the biggest challenge. We, we, all, we have a number of initiatives. Uh, we certainly have the website where we're sharing stories. Uh, we have we try to share stories of hope and uh, coping and healing. Uh, so someone, for example, who has struggled with depression and is on the upswing will write about what it was like for them. And, and the hope is that uh, people may uh, discover these stories and read them and, and be able to see themselves in that story or see someone they know in that story and feel like they're not alone and feel like maybe, oh, well, if, if this person you know whose name I recognize has been going through this same thing and they were able to get help, then maybe I can too. And that's been very uh, useful, but it does require that people find us. It does require that people mm-hmm. find those stories. Yeah. And I've actually seen people, uh, friends, you know, uh, talking on social networks about problems they're experiencing and, uh, you know, maybe not realizing how common they are. Uh, and, and that sort of has brought us to the sort of second thing that we're actually, you know, it's a thing we're struggling with right now. I don't want to number them because we've got a number of things going on. But the the biggest challenge for us right now is how do you reach out to people uh, who are friends of yours or, or colleagues or whatever. We do work with organizations. So on the, you know, manager level, how do you reach out to, to employees who you know are struggling? Uh, and how do you offer them help or how do you broach that subject? It's really tricky because you don't, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about these things. Not only is there the stigma, the cultural stigma about mental health, which obviously we're trying to work against, but it's also just sort of really tricky on a personal basis to, to reach out to someone and say, hey, I think you're depressed, you know, or, yeah. uh, hey, I noticed that you're struggling. So we're, uh, you know, we gave a talk at PAX uh, Prime this year uh, about how to be a friend, specifically aimed at arming people with, with a little bit of uh, uh, ammunition for how to sort of deal with that fight and, and reach out to people. That we, we will continue to do because I think that's where the, that's really where the rubber meets the road. If we're, hoping to eradicate the stigma of mental illness and hoping to make it safer for people to talk about these issues, which we know from our clinician advisors, talking leads to healing and not talking leads to additional symptoms. So, you know, we got to get people who are struggling uh, to the help that they need. And that involves reaching out to them directly. Uh, One of those ways that we're doing it as well is the AFK rooms um, Mm -hmm. at PAX, like I mentioned. Uh, It's basically just a room that we uh, have set aside uh, in cooperation with PACs where people can come in and there's literally nothing happening there. And people can come and if they're, te- if they're overstimulated, a lot of people who suffer from uh, emotional issues get overstimulated or struggle in, in environments like a, uh, like a video game convention or a comic book convention. 
And so we have the AFK room where they can come and they can take a break and there's comfortable furniture or beanbags. And we staff those rooms with clinicians, with certified clinicians who are there just in case. Or if someone comes in and they need, you know, uh, a little bit of help coping, we're there for them. Uh, at PAX Prime recently, you know, we had a number of people come in in crisis. We had, we had one young woman bring in her friend who was, uh, who was struggling with thoughts of suicide and had actually worked out a plan uh, to take her own life at the show that weekend. And so we, uh, you know, we had a protocol for that. We, uh, our clinicians, uh, jumped in and de-escalated the young woman and her friend and got them to the EMTs and, uh, took care of that situation. So it's not, um, you know, it's not just enough. We think to have that sort of quiet room, we need to have the, the clinical help there as well. And that's great for that one circumstance for PACs. How do we do that sort of thing? How do we provide that sort of outreach? How do we expose people to the idea of getting help with emotional issues uh, in general in larger environments? And that's ongoing. That's, you know, that's part of what we do at our talks. I talked at the GDC last year. Uh, we're reaching out directly to, uh, to employers, to video game studios who internally struggle with these issues. Uh, and we'll be, we'll be holding more uh, events at uh, takethis.org, hopefully to, to spread that word. Even just something like having the AFK room be featured prominently at a show like PAX, where, I mean, the thing to remember uh, uh, about PAX is it's not just gamer specific. It's sort of a, a wider swath of the culture. So people who wouldn't normally intersect with perhaps me and Russ uh, still see that there's this dedicated space at this show that acknowledges, hey, the show might be a little too intense for you at times. Because uh, put somebody with any flavor of anxiety condition into a show like PAX, at some point they are more than likely going to feel uncomfortable because it's crowded, it's noisy, it's hot. There's all sorts of stressors at that show. So having a space that says, we get it, not a problem. Here's a place where you can can help cope with that normalizes these issues. And it's no different than here's where you go to get cash to buy stuff. Here's where you go get food. Here's where you go chill out when you're, when you're freaked out because of the show. And by normalizing it makes it then okay or at least less difficult to say, oh my gosh, I need that. And that's, that's one of my main goals is to just normalize it. Like you tell your friend, I, I don't want to go in there right now because I have a headache and it's really noisy. You would have absolutely no problem saying that. My goal is for people to be as comfortable saying, I can't go in there because it's just my, it's, it's just making me really, really anxious and I just can't go in there right now. Same thing. No difference. There, there should be no shame in, in admitting that to your pals at the show. And so by having something like the AFK room that says, yeah, this is, this is a thing. This is ordinary. My hope is that people will see that and understand it and also therefore spread the word to their friends. We had a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of threads on forums and, and Reddit popping up after the show where people were like, oh my gosh, this was a thing. It was super, super helpful. And that started discussion like, oh, is that what that was? I didn't realize. Great. Now those people know it exists. And if they go to a con, you know, like a Dragon Con or Comic Con or something, they understand the needs now and can can talk to other people about these situations and these conditions. 
so, but there's, it's a major challenge <laughs> mm-hmm. to get that info out there. Have you ever gotten any pushback from people who feel that events like PAX are becoming too touchy-feely or that you're Never. taking the fun away from games? Nope. No. With, with regard to these issues, nope. No. We had a couple of guys come into the AFK room. PAX, uh, in, our, our cooperation with PAX is, is sort of ongoing, and, and they're they're always trying new things. And, and one of the things that they have done fairly recently uh, to sort of get more traffic to, to things that they want people to see or, or rooms that rooms or booths or whatever that may be on the fringe uh, is this sort of uh, hide-and-seek uh, QR code uh, uh, scavenger hunt game where they'll put, paste these little sca- uh, QR codes all over the building, and people can collect them. If they collect them all, I guess they get a prize. So they uh, they wanted us to have one of those QR codes in our room so that people would be more aware of the room, and whether whether it was through that or or not, definitely people were way more aware of the room at Prime than at uh, PAX East. I think at, at PAX East we had uh, 500 visitors total, and at uh, PAX Prime we had 500 per day. Right? Yeah. So uh, four times roughly. Uh, so that that part worked, but the QR code did backfire a little bit. We had a couple of guys come in. Uh, looking for the QR code and they were just hyper sort of obsessed on the QR code and uh, very loud and high-fiving. You know, we have this room where people are trying to take a break and it's, it's very quiet and these dudes sort of bumble in, you know, with their with their bags and they're like, where's the QR code? And they find it and they're, woo, got it, all right. And they go out and it's like, okay, well, I guess we need to move that code. That was it though, right? Like in terms of negatives, it's not really that that bad. And that was, there was as bad as it got. There was one guy after East because the first AFK room we did was at PAX East earlier this year. And there was uh, a guy who uh, did not uh, did not visit it. And he had posted a thread about, oh, you, here's the social justice warriors trying to get into PAX. And immediately was like, no, dude, you don't understand. This room is extremely useful, and here's why. And just... Post after post after post after post telling him, no, you're wrong. This this is a good thing, and, and here's why it's a good thing. So the positive feedback has been nearly universal and, and really rewarding, honestly. It, it just reinforces our belief that, yeah, this is a valuable thing that people really, really need. It's a little daunting, too, because we're finding, you know, the, the result that packs prime, you know, uh, for we have a much smaller room for PAX yeah. and this to see our uh, see our visitor numbers go up so much higher uh, so quickly. We had we had thankfully prepared more for PAX Prime. We had learned some lessons from East. We felt like we were uh, way more organized for Prime, and it ended up being a good thing. Uh, but you know, just due to the to the overwhelming numbers, that we still sort of found ourselves realizing there was more yet to do. And that's been kind of the case for everything we've done at Take This. We feel like. You know, we'll go in, we'll, we'll decide we need to do something like the AFK rooms. We'll feel like, well, there might be a demand for this, right? Or there might be, uh, this might be something valuable. And then when we do it, we find, yeah, it's way more valuable than we even thought we could. So we're, we're continually in this cycle where uh, no matter, you know, how organized we think we are, there's more need for what we're doing than, than we can uh, sort of satisfy. So it's, you know, it's like for, <laughs> It's just, just weird, you know. We I, I, we find ourselves in this sort of odd dichotomy with with take this, where it's a, you know, on the one hand, there's there's a lot of demand for what we're doing, which is great. On the other hand, that's really not great. <laughs> like uh, organizationally, uh, our goal is to be unnecessary, and uh, at some point, hopefully, we'll have done enough work, and the environment will have changed enough 
that this is no longer an issue that people need an organization like ours to help solve. But for the time being, uh, we're not there. Hosting these rooms at PAX, all sorts of different kinds of online outreach, speaking at conventions, this comes at an expense to the organizers. Where do you find your funds? Uh, yeah, that's an ongoing question, right? Uh, we have been uh, lucky in that most of our activities to date uh, we have sort of coincided with, with places we'd already be, right? So a lot of our costs in, in terms of running an AFK room, for example, we can sort of uh, write off or bury as uh, work expenses uh, for us being there already as journalists. Uh, Dr. Klein is based in Boston, so having him at PAX East was was no uh, very no big thing. Donated his time. Yeah, very kindly donated his time. But uh, the the more we do, the more we find that we are needing uh, additional funds. We'll need to fly people out to you know whatever our next event is going to be. We'll need to uh, start compensating clinicians, uh, most of whom have also donated their time, and that's not. A small thing. We had, uh, I forget the numbers off the top of my head, I think 15, uh, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 licensed clinicians at uh, PAX Prime volunteering their time for the FK room. And uh, if you're not familiar, uh, you know, clinicians can build uh, their time at anywhere from 100 to $200 an hour, right? Yeah. So for them this to donate. Four days. <laughs> yeah. So for four days, people working eight hour shifts uh, in the FK room for us, um, that's a. Uh, extremely generous donation and uh we're happy you know that we have been able to find people willing to donate that time that will not always be the case so we have uh we have gotten some generous donations uh and that so far has has allowed us to do what we've been able to do we're more or less at break even as an organization right now as we continue to expand we will uh we will need to you know we need to do annual fundraisers we will need to bring in additional donations we will need to look for sponsors for the AFK room, for example, yeah. and that's that process is ongoing. And that's not even to count the, the you know, the time that we put in ourselves. I put in uh, prior to PAX Prime, I think I put in something like 80 hours uh, over a week and a half, two weeks, just pre- preparing for PAX Prime, mm-hmm. doing things like redoing the website, like who's, <laughs> you know, who's the webmaster? That's me. It's a small business, right, for, for all intents and purposes, and uh, Susan and I and, and Dr. Klein are all wearing multiple hats as we continue to grow that will have to change so we're kind of at the I, I see you take this right now at the inflection point where it's no longer a hobby uh we're certified we're you know we're a business we, we're 501c3 uh registered with the federal government so this is it's a going thing we are currently at break even which is great will this become a lasting organization that can continue to do good uh honestly i don't know that that really depends on uh, how willing people will be to support us and what kind of support do you do you need? How can people volunteer and help with your organization? Honestly, what I, donations really? I mean, I, I it always makes me feel uncomfortable saying, "Hey, we could use some money." But <laughs> as as Russ points out, if we're going to continue to grow and 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 help people, there are bills to pay. There are certain costs uh, associated with that. So, buy a T-shirt, buy a pin. Just, you know, donate five bucks. If, if you've got five bucks, that's super helpful. It doesn't sound like it should be, but it is. I mean, it genuinely is. Yeah, take this.org slash merchandise is where people can find things if they, you know, if you want a tangible item. Uh, we sell t shirts, we sell pens. You can also just donate to us. Uh, I think take this.org slash support uh, is the email address, but 
Technus.org is pretty self-explanatory. Links to all that stuff right up there on the front page. We also need help, uh, you know, in social media uh, messaging. We need help in uh, grant writing and uh, okay. copywriting, uh, you know, web, web maintenance and design. Uh, we need help at all the places where we have AFK rooms. We don't yet know. Uh, we're vaguely planning on being uh, at future PAX events. That conversation is ongoing with PAX itself. Uh, just in terms of you know the the timing and and how many of those events we will definitely be back at PAX, but we don't we can't yet say for certain which one will be at. When we know, obviously, we need help staffing the room. We have, yeah. in addition to the clinicians, we have uh, runners uh, who help us just to, you know bring people in, let people know what the room is for if they don't already know, uh, assisting the clinicians uh, should they need it. You know, we had a, a major episode of PAX Prime, I think I already mentioned, and, and we had three licensed clinicians in the room at that time, and all three were actively engaged uh, working with crisis. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where most of the time in the AFK room, you have a bunch of clinicians and runners just sitting there. And then every once in a while, something really, uh, you know, emergent happens, and uh, everyone's actively engaged. So we're we're continuing, just like, you know, just like the room, we're continuing to find out what we need to pull those off. Organizationally, we're continuing to find what we need to make the organization continue to run. And like Susan said, the most important thing right now is, uh, is money. And as we continue to get more and better organized, we're finding specific areas where people can donate their expertise. Yeah. You mentioned the website and social media. You seem to be doing quite well on Twitter. And in the past month, if I have my numbers right, you've gained about a thousand followers at your account, which is take this org. And you also had a tweet go seemingly viral when you asked people to fill in the blank depression is, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, leading up to PAX prime, we wanted more people to be aware of take this. Obviously we, you know, we had the room. We wanted people to know what we were, what we were for. So when they saw us on the map, you know, they had some idea of what was going on. Uh, we also just wanted to get more, more numbers up. You know, we have, we are trying to spread this message of hope and healing and awareness and the more people who follow TakeThis.org, obviously, the, the broader that message will go. So people were talking about depression a lot that week. I'm trying to remember back now uh, because when you, who, who manages the social media? Well, that's us. Okay, so what was I doing? You know, what were we doing back then? And, and uh, you know, Susan had written this, this excellent post uh, responding to the suicide of uh, Robin Williams, uh, a very well-known comedian and one of those people uh, who – who unfortunately fits right into, you know, right into that sphere of what we're doing. Uh, amazing talent, uh, hugely inspirational and entertaining human uh, who was struggling with depression, and many people didn't know it, right? And you look at someone like Robin Williams, and you think, holy cow, you know, if a guy like that can be struggling, well, then this can affect anybody. And exactly, right? Uh, that's the point. It can affect anybody. Uh, and we think that, you know, uh, it's just horribly tragic, but w seeing Robin Williams of all people just made a lot of people think, uh, who might else they know, who else might they know, right? And what is this depression thing anyway? Is it just being sad? Is it, you know, is it, a, is it a thing that, is it a thing you can just sort of think yourself out of? Um, yeah, this is, that's, that's the thing with, with depression because everybody, no matter what, gets depressed at some point because depression is a natural part of life. You lose your job. Uh, you know, you, you lose a loved one. Maybe your, your grandma passes away. You break up with someone. You get depressed. That is a normal part of that emotional process. And so because 
unlike maybe something like social anxiety, depression is something that just about everybody experiences at one point or another. They believe that when you say, I suffer from depression, they know what that means. Oh, well, I was depressed. Just cheer up. You just need to get out more. You just need to, because the difference between temporary depression, which is the, something everybody goes through, and something more like clinical depression is, it's, it's really unfortunate they share the same name because they could not be more different. And so when you, you have something like the Robin Williams situation, and there's this, this lack of understanding, you know, but he had everything. He was famous. He had a family that loved him. What's the problem? Why was he depressed? Well, that's not how it works. So something like the Depression Is uh, campaign was very helpful in in getting the, the message out there like this is what dealing with depression can feel like. It's it's not just, hey, I'm I'm down today. It's all of of these things. And so one of the one of the biggest things that we encounter is how do you explain how a mental health issue affects you to someone who's never had one? Like if you're, if you have a stomach ache, you can under, Hey, my stomach hurts. They've had a stomach ache. They know what that feels like. Right. But if you say, I, I have anxiety, I have OCD, I have PTSD, I have depression. They don't know how to understand that because they haven't experienced it personally. So the depression is campaign was an effort to help people understand this is what it's like. This is what I go through. This is what it means to me. One of the most powerful posts we've we've ever had on the on the website was uh, from uh, one of our very early uh, uh, allies uh, sharing his story of depression and, and realizing that he was angry all the time and that he felt uh, short of patience and he, you know he would be short with his family and and uh, didn't, didn't felt feel like he had the space in his head to help his kid with his homework or whatever right. Uh, and, and, but didn't think that that was depression because depression was just being sad, right? And he didn't feel sad. He just felt angry. And then he, uh, realized, uh, uh, that he actually was, uh, struggling with depression and that his depression was leading him to all of these feelings that he didn't understand. And for him, that was just a watershed moment, this sort of realization that, uh, that he had completely wrong ideas about what depression was and that, you know, the struggles he was dealing with in his daily life were things that were not only sort of normal, but understood and could be remedied. Uh, and it was just a, a life changing moment for him. And this story, uh, is so meaningful. It highlights exactly what we're trying to say. And it was just a very good and precise message. And so the hope with the depression is, uh, Twitter campaign was that we could do something similar in a you know in a, in a shorter, more Twitter-friendly format, and and I think we succeeded with that. Uh, and uh, uh, obviously, the kitten gifts that we've been sharing on, on the on the on the uh, feed have been hugely successful. So people love seeing kitten gifts. So I think that's probably another uh, contributing factor to how many followers we've gained. Well, nothing normalizes anything else like cats do. Right. <laughs> you know, everybody relates to cats. That's right. Especially yeah. when they explode all over your living room. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, nothing will bond you faster with people than talking about your pet's bad behavior. I kid you not. Because it happens to everybody. It's a great normalizer. Like, you know, 
Oh my God, my dog ate my shoes. Oh, I hear you. My dog ate my controller cable. Yeah. Well, you touch on actually something that, that we've actually been talking a lot about internally is that we have found that you know, even as, as successful as, as the Twitter campaigns have been recently, there's still a, it's still somewhat muted, right? Like uh, Susan and I both uh, have social media presences. We work with people and organizations that have social media presences. And so we can, we can sort of track uh, how well we would expect something to do. And even as many people have, who have been responding to take this and following, it's still been, uh, in my opinion, somewhat muted. And, and I think this, speaks to a sort of a larger problem that we're also dealing with is that when people think about mental illness or they hear the term mental illness, there's a resistance. There's this sort of automatic, uh, I don't want to say re- re- repulsion, but there's this sort of resistance to even thinking about it because it's, it's scary. It's, it's a, a recoiling. It's a, mis- it's a recoiling. Yeah. yeah. There's a misunderstanding there and people, you know, when they don't understand things, they, they tend to not want to think about them or deal with them. And I know that that's what we're dealing with, with mental illness and it's perfectly natural. It's as natural as mental illness is itself. So we're, as an organization, we're, we're looking at that. How can we, you know, talk about these issues? How do we talk about depression in a way that's uh, going to be helpful? It isn't going to automatically turn somebody, somebody off because yeah. we're talking about depression, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we'll, as we go into our, our future plans for the remainder of this year and next year, it's going to be a lot of that, right? How do we bring people into this conversation in a way that they'll be open to? Because it's not just this is not just a conversation for people who are struggling with emotional issues. This is a conversation for everybody because one in four people is a lot of people. Chances are then either you or someone you know is struggling with this, and that's something you should be aware of. I wish we had these kinds of conversations years ago because I think the work you're doing to normalize and publicize these issues is one of the most important things you could be doing. I've known throughout my life various people who had depression or bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and I, I knew what that wasn't. I knew it wasn't anything I'd ever experienced, but I didn't know what it was, and I right. didn't know how to relate to it. Right. And, and my first experience where I actually started to finally grok what that was was spring of last year when Allie Brosh published her Hyperbole and a Half yep. comic all about mm-hmm. depression. Yep. And then earlier this year, I played Depression Quest. And then a few months later, I played a game called Gone by Logan Harrington. And the, all these things finally started you know, building off each other. And I'm like, I, I get it finally. And I finally realized what a shitty friend I'd been to all these people without even realizing it. Ken, you're not, you're not a bad friend. And just the, just the fact that you're concerned about that, uh, and willing to sort of look at your own behavior suggests you're actually a pretty good friend. Yeah. But it's not at all uncommon to have no idea how to deal with these issues or, or even to not be aware of them. That's, you know, that's kind of why we're here. Exactly. Exactly. One of the, the, the things that we've been trying to do with our panels when we actually talk to the public, at first we just wanted to literally just say it's okay to say these things out loud, right? Like my brain doesn't work entirely according to spec and that's okay. Cause guess what? My eyes don't work entirely according to spec either. I got to wear glasses. It's just a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that was what we did with our first number of panels. And after that, we started wanting to give people tangible tools and strategies for talking to people, like talking to their friends about, Okay, so you have depression. I would like to understand what that means. I have no idea how to talk to you about that. 
So, you know, here are some ways to actually have that conversation because it's not an easy conversation on either side. You know, people who have mental health issues are typically very worried about how their friends are going to react. Like, you, you don't want to be that guy or that girl who's, you know, always down or is the bummer or is the killjoy or, you know, you don't want to be that person. So you tend not to bring it up or you don't you don't want to see your friends kind of backing away from you. Not literally, of course, um, but knowing that it makes people uncomfortable, uh, it's tough to bring up. And that's not fair. Uh, you should be able to talk about these things with your friends. So we, we try to give people actual real world things that they can say and do. And that's what our, our recent, our most recent uh, panel was about uh, how to be a friend is, okay, how do you listen to someone who is going through something? And, and the great thing about it is it it's great for any situation. It doesn't specifically deal with mental health stuff. It's anytime your friend needs to talk, but it is particularly applicable to when your friend needs to talk. And and for just one example that I think translates the most to these situations is it is not your role as friend to try and fix it. You want to. Because it's your friend and you can see that they're suffering and you care about them. And your natural inclination is to make that go away and make it all okay. Not your job, first of all, not your role. And you probably can't. And that's okay. Lots of times, you know, by, by putting what you're unwittingly doing with your friend when you're trying to fix it is now you're putting them in the awkward position of telling them that's not going to work. You're not helping. And now that's making it harder for them to talk to you about what's going on because now they don't want to hurt your feelings because they know you're trying to be kind. And now it's like, could you, could you please stop sending me the cute animal pictures? That's not where I am right now. I know what you're trying to do and I really appreciate that. But. (laughs) And also those attempts that you mentioned to try to fix a problem. You just talked about how gamers need agency when someone's try, trying to fix you, they're taking away your agency to mm-hmm. be who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's okay to not know, to not have an answer. It is perfectly okay. We as gamers are really, really programmed to try and solve the puzzle, to try and defeat the challenge, right? And in in dealing with these issues, sometimes that's just simply not possible. You don't know the answer. There is no solution. It's just a thing that is. And that makes people very uncomfortable for a number of reasons. And that's just something that you have to kind of internalize and accept. And, and that's where a, a lot of the uh, reluctance to talk about these things can come from is, I don't know what to do. Like you're upset and you're telling me these things and I don't know what to do. Well, it's okay. You don't have to know what to do. You just got to be there and make your friend understand that it is okay for them to be telling you these things. Because getting it out, just just being able to say stuff is huge, huge. I had a moment, this is such a small and silly thing, but it was so incredibly meaningful for me. It's it's really hard for people who don't have uh, anxiety or, or other issues to understand. Uh, when I uh, am, am working at a show, I get very wrapped up in minor details uh, like what I'm going to wear that day 
what are people going to think of me when I wear this? Are they going to think that this is a dumb choice? What if they see me wearing the Serenity t-shirt? What does that look unprofessional like these? And I, it gets into a feedback loop in my head. And Sarah LaBeouf, uh, I take this board member and I, uh, often room together when we're uh, working at a show. And this was, I was standing in front of the mirror in this feedback loop in my head. And because I knew she knew that I had anxiety issues and treated me no differently. I could say to her, okay, I'm obsessing over this t-shirt. Is anybody really going to care if I wear it? And she was like, nope, it's all in your head. Nobody's going to give a damn. And she was wearing a black long sleeve t-shirt, a, a black short sleeve t-shirt over a black long sleeve t-shirt. And she said, is anybody going to care that the blacks don't match? Because that was go- what was going through her head in a feedback loop. And I was like, nope, no one's going to notice. No one's going to care. And because we had talked about it, it diffused it. We were both okay. And we could leave. And it was just this huge release of tension and worry over something so incredibly insignificant. But just being able to actually say it without worrying that the person was going to think you were a freak was incredibly valuable. I mentioned some of the tools that I, I hope are equipping me to be a better friend, those being games like Depression Quest and Gone. Another one is Actual Sunlight. Are there other sorts of empathy games that you would recommend people seek out to better understand this? I think you've, you've hit the, the, the major players there. Uh, you know, we uh, there are a lot of empathy games out there, just as there are a lot of uh, stories. You know, obviously we're not alone in sharing stories. Uh, Will Wheaton has been amazing. Uh, and sharing his experiences with his struggles uh, on his own website. Uh, you mentioned, mentioned Ali Brosh. That particular cartoon was was just uh, groundbreaking. I think the key with with all of these is is to remember that they're, they're you know the, the, the creator's experiences. You know we uh, we have you know we just have a single guideline. We have a couple guidelines for the things we share. It take this. They have to be positive. They have to be messages of cope and healing, coping and healing. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, though, we, we're, we're happy to, to share whatever uh, our, our members and our readers are willing to, to share with us uh, through Take This. But the thing, you know, we do ask people to keep in mind is those are the creator's own personal experiences. Um, yeah. And those will all be different. And they may mean something to you. They may not. They may be positive to you. They may, you know, they may not be. Um, so I think people have asked us at times, you know, uh, to endorse or to recommend. And I've actually, I'm talking to someone right now who's creating a, an empathy game and, uh, you know, wants to be able just to put a link to take this at the end of it. And, well, sure, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, you know, there's, these are things we have to think about as an organization. What does it mean if we, you know, if we allow someone to put our name in? Does it mean we're endorsing it? And what does that mean if we're endorsing it? Gosh, I don't even know. Um, but in terms of what is out there and available, uh, and you hit on a, a bunch of really great ones. Uh, like Susan had another one. Uh, Papa Leo. That's a, a particularly powerful game, uh, especially because it involves a child. And for, for those who aren't familiar, uh, it tells the story of a young boy who is dealing with uh, an alcoholic parent and the uh, emotional turmoil that that causes and so while that's not specifically uh in in what we're talking about it's it's definitely tangential and uh, it's it's an experience that uh, a lot of people who end up uh dealing with mental health issues can relate to i heard on the less than or equal podcast that sometimes these games hit a little bit too close to home and they can actually be very difficult for people to play who can empathize with these situations 
sure. I mean, it, it, and that's hearing others' stories. I mean, I, I, I read all of the submissions to our site. So I, I, I hear, I, you know, I, I, I share these experiences with, with people. And obviously it's very difficult because if you've had any issues yourself, you, it, it, it touches you in very particular ways and uh, very vulnerable spots. And so it, it can be a, a very emotional experience. Does that necessarily make it bad? No. Does that necessarily make it good? No. It's, it's very tough because these are such very personal things. Like two people who have depression will not ex- necessarily experience it in the same way. Two people who have PTSD will not experience it in necessarily the same way. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It, it, they can. Sure. In much the same way that, you know, if you watch a movie in, in which a character has suffered a, a trauma, that can resonate with you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that highlights a, a sort of hidden call. You mentioned earlier the cost to us as organizers. That That's a hidden, that's one of the hidden costs. Uh, you know, we frequently struggle with just not having the, the, the mental capacity on a given day to deal with take this business because for us it, it's not only is it very personal, in that everything we do for the organization comes from a very personal place of wanting to respond to this, uh, this, this, this situation we're in where there's, con- you know, it seems, uh, constant tragedies that we're trying to respond to. But it, you know, the, 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 the details of it deal with these, these struggles that for us in various ways are also, uh, personal. And so that's, you know, we, we joke that the AF, that we do the AFK rooms at PAX. Uh, and we have the AFK rooms so that people who are attending the conference can take a break from the show if they need it. We find ourselves in running the AFK rooms, often needing an AFK yeah. from the AFK, right? Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, that's just part of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're aware organizationally that this is, uh, that this can, you know, degrade us and this can be something that, we, you know, that we have to, you know, be cognizant of and, and find new ways to respond to. And that's part of what we're addressing as we grow. Right. Because you need your own support network. You need your own friends to talk to. And yep. after, after today, I hope you have one more you can talk to. Thank you. Aww, thank you. Take This can be found at takethis.org. As I said earlier on Twitter at takethisorg. Is there any other information that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, <laughs> that's it. I mean, whatever it is that you may be struggling with, whatever, however uh, overwhelming it may feel to you, I guarantee you there's someone else out there who's gone through the same thing and found a way out of it. Uh, if it's not through Take This, if it's not with friends you know, find someone that you can talk to. Find you know, help. There are mental health caregivers in your area. They're as easy to find as Googling uh, or looking in the phone book if you still have one of those. You know, it's, it's a process. It's not always easy to get help, but being able to talk with someone about what you're dealing with is the fastest way. The only other thing I would want to add, because I mean, this is this is advice we give out all the time: is please talk to someone. Please, please, please talk to someone. A lot of people tell me, "Yeah, I tried that and it didn't work." Therapy will not always work the first time you try it, which sucks <laughs> because it's really scary to put yourself out there and say, "Okay, I am finally going to try and address this thing," and you just don't connect with your therapist it it is it's a a real blow and it can really really set you back on your heels please keep trying 
we have something on our website about uh, how to find a therapist that works for you. Not all therapists are created equal. They have different approaches. Um, they have different philosophies. And it can take a few times to, to find someone who really gets you and, and will, will be best for you in your treatment. Please keep trying. Please, 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 please. I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. Please keep trying. It really can make your life better. No, I absolutely agree. I, As I mentioned, I haven't experienced depression myself, but I have had times in my life when I needed somebody to talk to, and I was fortunate to be able to find a therapist who helped me through some difficult times. And it is, you, you it's incalculable how much help it can be just to yeah. have somebody there. Yep. Wow. Well, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you for all the work you do, not only in speaking to the Polygamer podcast for an hour, but just everything you do for <laughs> Take This at PAX, at GDC, on your websites, on Twitter. It's an invaluable resource that you offer, and I've, I'm glad that the community has you to rely on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's very kind of you to say. So, Susan, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, especially when I don't have to worry about what you've forgotten when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I've had that experience, and I like it. I didn't forget anything last time. <laughs> but I worried that you did. That's, yeah, I did too, actually. <laughs> and, and this time I don't have to. For the for those who don't know, the first time that Ken and I uh, did a panel together at PAX, I, I had brought my water bottle. It's one, one of those nice ones with the filter in it and really good. And I had to go directly from that panel to the airport, left the water bottle sitting on the table, completely forgot it. And uh, Ken was kind enough to send it to me afterwards. And you know, for all the work I do in gaming journalism and podcasts and YouTube, a few months later, I was at a press screening of a film, and I ended up sitting next to Bob Chipman of The Escapist <laughs> Magazine. And, of course, he's never heard of me, but we start chatting, and I mention how I know Susan Arndt. He's like, oh, yeah, Susan was in Boston a few months ago, and she forgot her water bottle, and some dude mailed it back to her. <laughs> I'm like, this is what I'm famous for. I finally made my mark on the industry. Thank you. Oh. oh god that's hilarious <laughs> and russ it's it's a pleasure to finally meet you and i say finally because our paths almost crossed a decade ago oh my goodness really when was this well in 2004 my own career was at a crossroads when i simultaneously received two job offers and i had to decide which i wanted to be a high school english teacher or a company manager of foothills theater <laughs> shut up wow oh my god whoa uh, well, uh, I'm guessing you chose a high school English teacher. I guess it'd be easier to deal with teenagers than actors. Uh, you were entirely correct, sir. <laughs> uh, wow, what uh, what an amazing coincidence. Well, the, the theater, uh, uh, it shut down uh, not too long after that. Uh, apparently they were, uh, they, I mean, it had been struggling for years, but apparently the, uh, the, the struggles became insurmountable for them, which, which I regret because it was an amazing place to work. I saw several shows there, auditioned a few times, and you know the arts industry is always struggling for funds. And I'm sorry that they are no longer in the Worcester County area. Yeah, that was a it was a it was a, a bright spot uh, in the uh, in the Worcester uh, uh, entertainment scene. Well, thank you again, both of you, and I look forward to seeing your bylines on many articles and to seeing you at the AFK room at future PAXs. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us. Bye. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.
How are you today? I am uh well, okay. My 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 morning got off to a bit of an odd start as my cat exploded all over my living room. 